0: Let's thank God. Dear Lord God, we are grateful for your kindness to us, that your apostles and your prophets have written down the things they thought that helped us in our walk, ministering to people in their day and ministering to us here in ours. We'd ask that you would give us wisdom in your son's name. Amen. Okay, last week we were in Ephesians, kind of Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, kind of a dipped our toe into Ephesians 1, pulled out a certain quote and, and marched with that out of context. Well, actually, we were trying to create what the context was in the first three chapters of Ephesians. So as I was thinking about it over the week, somebody had something... Had said something about uh, how the rest of the book had laid out. And I, my, my own Bible, which Harold Benzel did, it was the Harper Study Bible, uh, has a paragraph outline format and it says things like the function of the church, the unity of the church, the moral standards of the church. I've always sort of in the back of my mind through these kind of extra biblical notes. Had this practical um, practical expression of the book of Ephesians. But one other thing that I learned from my uh, my father is that when you see the word therefore, you look what it's there for. And you'll notice the top of the right hand column, ephesians four One, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all lowliness and meekness, with patience, forbearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. A a, a verse you're probably familiar with, a verse you're probably, yeah, that's really rich, that doesn't excuse you. Even inside the verse to say, well, because it's really rich inside the verse, I don't have to look what it's there for. The instruction is, you see the word therefore, you look what it's there for. Now, the wonderful thing about Ephesians is you were in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 last week. And it's almost as if Paul, if you've ever thought about Paul's writing style, the man was not gifted in writing. Run on sentences, sentences that don't go anywhere. And the first verse of chapter 3, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, dash, and then the rest of the chapter doesn't finish the sentence. And so when he says in chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord, it may be that he's picking up the thought that he didn't complete and, a chapter earlier, at the beginning of chapter 3. And you could, don't have to agree with that, but it seems that he is trying to get out what he means to be as a prisoner of the Lord on behalf of you Gentiles. Because remember... That's what's coming down through most of this early part of the book. I have Ephesians 2.11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers of the covenant to promise having no hope and without God in the world. That's a pretty riveting moment. Then Ephesians 3.1 Three, one says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, and he talks about preaching the mystery of the gospel. Verse 6, that is, how the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He has told them in chapter 2 that uh, that he's made one man in the place of two, breaking down the dividing wall of hostility. So when he says in Ephesians 4 1, for this reason I am a prisoner of the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling, the calling, the Gentiles have been, had this calling laid out in front of them in the first three chapters, that is huge. It's favorable, it's wonderful, it's amazing. Something has happened. The great mystery hidden for ages is the gospel to the Gentiles. That's how Paul sees it. Right? How the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Not how the Gentiles join Judaism. How the Gentiles have become the one new man, and the Jew has become one new man in the place of two. He abolished the law with his commandments and ordinances. He's made a new religion. It's amazing to Paul, as a Jew, hearing about this grace, this faith. Now, so what he tells you in chapter four verse one, you are um, You are being enjoined to be lowly, meek, patient, forbearing, Eager to maintain the unity. And we try to pull that up into an instruction for a bunch of Protestants who, for two millennia, well, Protestants for 500 years, Gentiles for two millennia, were really used to running the church. We Gentiles. Caleb's not here, right? Caleb's not here. Okay. We can make some decisions now because we're all Gentiles. We get things done. We're mostly white, mostly Western European. Let's show some privilege. Let's hold a council. We stop seeing the amazing quality to which you have been called. Lead a life worthy of the calling. eh? That, That phrase almost doesn't make sense in the normal evangelism that brought you to Christ. Because you're not going there, you're not sitting there wide-eyed with amazement. Because we've arranged the church to be without amazement. What's amazing about the gospel you preach? Is it still amazing? You know, interestingly enough, it's not. we didn't get used to it. It's not like, oh yeah, the gospel because you will walk into any evangelical church in the country, maybe even this one, and find in conversation, short order, that they're still thinking in terms of a religion we craft for God. You have two choices. You're either crafting a religion for God, or you're trying to be obedient to a religion that he has crafted for you. So people who like the Jewish way of doing things, they're the ones who say, "Okay, God wrote it out this way, and some people, no, we want to run around with streamers and have burlap banners on the wall that say Maranatha and a descending dove. They want to have those kinds of freedoms. We think we think still, like the Gentile and like the Jew, that religion is something man makes to please his God. What's amazing to Paul is not that the Gentiles had the right answer and the Jews did not, or the Jews had the right answer and the Gentiles did not, but God had the right answer, and he was going to make this religion not going to set patterns for you to religiously do. That's Old Testament. That had its own prophetic purpose, its own shadow, but it wasn't the thing. If it were the thing, you would have no need for Christ to die. There's a calling that is radically different about the, in the mystery of the Gentiles. The mystery of the gospel to the Gentiles. The Jew was elect as a people. The Gentiles were not elect as a people. The Jews had the true religion. And they had the true religion's religion. You know, you know how you have the religion which is ultimately the God you serve, Yahweh. They had the true religion. And then they had the true religion's religious service to that religion. The temple, the priesthood, the sacrifices. And the Gentiles had false religions, made-up gods or, or falsely-worshipped gods. And Paul told you in chapter 2 that he abolished the law with his commandments and his ordinances. He just pulled the rug out from the elect religion and the elect religion's religion. And gave grace to the Jew and the Gentile together. You read through the book of Romans, you're going to figure if you have that thought in your mind, Jew and Gentile together, what, what is the Christian message to this? It's wonderful. You're all sinners. You all need faith. You all need the grace of God. Everyone is the same under the grace of God. And we are set free from true and false religion. Okay? We're set free from true religion and we're set free from false religion. Because when he says, and if you don't know where the verse is, we covered it last week, Ephesians 2 15. Oh, I'll start with 14. For he is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the false religions of the Gentiles and their idolatry. I made that last part up. Now, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. This is religion still strange. It doesn't take you long, visiting any believing church, of dear believers, to find out what kind of religion they have added to the system. Could be something as malevolent as legalism, or could be something as much uh, pretentious as, as oh, liturgical uh, devices. We stop being amazed. Because we started doing our religion like someone would carve an idol. We start making a religious idol to serve our God by that doesn't really touch on anything you're told to do in the scriptures. You're told here to be lowly and be realizing how wonderful the calling how, for the Gentile here, I think he's talking to the Gentile, how wonderful that it is that God has made the mystery to the Gentiles, the mystery of the Gentiles, fulfilled in Christ. You should be lowly, meek, patient, forbearing. Boy, that sure would be it, because you've just been told that not only have you been included, the, the, the Jews have had their religion abolished. Okay. The Jews have got to be one man with you with their religion ended because Christ for them was the end of the law. Christ for the Gentile was you have a path to God. You should be meek. You should be forbearing. You should be understanding what they're going through. You should be eager to maintain the unity and the bond of peace. That's not just general Christian advice. That's telling a Gentile who understands how great their transition into the true religion, the true religion, is. And he tells you, verse 4, what is this? There is one body, one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of us all. Now, that's not a list for you to think of in a creedal sense. He has just told the Gentile and the Jew. He's broken down the dividing wall of hostility. He has made peace in the truly religious by making a religion that is in him, in his Son. That's chapter 1. It's all in Christ, in his death. Not in our religious behavior, not in our religious actions, not in the carving of a religion to look like Christianity to go perform on a Sunday. The oneness you have is because there's one body and spirit, there's one hope, there's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism. He has made all these things to give you a religion. Well, we've looked at all these things and made the means by which we would not have one religion. Just look at the one faith, one baptism. I mean, it's like throwing red meat out there. Oh, baptism. Head upstream or head downstream. Baby or adult? Believing or just churchy. What do we? Do? Water, sprinkle, immerse, What do you want? We can fight over this. And the, the wonderful thing is Paul is telling the Gentile because you have been so blessed so blessed in this calling so amazing that there's a life and you're having to sit at home over your Cheerios in the morning going how can I live in a way that be worthy of what I have been given? You've got to stop and say do I even have a concept of how wonderful Christianity is? Because I grew up in a believing church, Southern Baptist, and I can't tell you even today, other than a lot of dear believers going to heaven, was anything worthy about it. They weren't usually bad or anything like that. It was just, really, just church. Oh my gosh. And there are certain things, if you grew up Baptist, you know, with the, you know I just have to say Baptist. They're the more, the, almost the most liturgical church on the planet. Without being high church, They are liturgical because you can walk into any Baptist church in the country and know what you're going to run and do. You say, well, you get that same thing at the Anglican church or or McDonald's. It's all going to taste the same. But it wasn't tasting wonderful. I was trying to think of ways I could fake, now he knows this, I'm not convincing him of anything new, fake a cough. So I didn't have to go. Um, and I was honest enough to know I was going to have to make my throat hurt. You know, I was going to have to do something, cough really, really hard, scratch it up. <clears throat> so I could honestly say to my father, look at him square in the eye, well, I, my, my throat's kind of hurting. So I wouldn't have to go. This was before girls. okay? Because girls become a different reason to go to church, Right? Finally, you girl, oh, okay, I'm ready to go, Mom, Dad. Off to church, worship God. <laughs> not one Lord, one faith, one baptism, not one God and Father of us all. But when you realize that Christianity knocked the bottom out of Gentilism, all the false religions that were running around, that you still kind of, boy, you go on a tour, you go to Greece, you go to the Acropolis, you go walk up there, Oh, the Parthenon. Oh, my heaven. We're still amazed at the false gods. Oh, people are still amazed by the thoughts of the temple of God in Jerusalem. And let's get it rebuilt for the Jews and save up. And say, are you guys amazed about Jesus Christ at all? Because he broke down all those things. You know why you like the other things is you get to have idols. This is not your design of one baptism. Not your design of one Lord. It is God and Father of us all who is above all and through all and in all. That's not a a creedal poetry. That's absolute truth. Does your religion stand in God and Christ? Do you stand in this one body? Not do you have an opinion that you're willing to argue with other Christians trying to prove that your idea of one baptism or one faith is this and they got to prove them wrong. You know so well that the one faith and the one baptism The one Lord and the one God and Father of us all that you have is because there is one God and Father of us all who has made you in that oneness. Making one man in the place of two. Did he make you this? You are God's religious expression. You are not expressing a religion about your God. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it is said, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. That's Psalm 68. Now look at what he's, he's, why did he pull that in? What's What's the point of that? In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? And he's not talking about Jesus came down and was born in a stable. It means he had gone to Hades, the lower parts of the earth. And he who descended is he who also ascended far above all the heavens, in bold for you to register, that he might fill all things. Not the religion you designed with your friends back in, you know, the 1500s. Whether it be Baptists or Lutherans or Presbyterians, doesn't matter. That wasn't supposed to fill all things. Jesus Christ was supposed to fill all things. And he has given gifts to you that you might express his religion... It's a, it's a nuanced thing. But once you realize that you're the expression of God's religion, his gifts to men on all levels, what's it? Levels? Is it, uh, above all, through all, and in all, and gave gifts to men because he went from Hades to heaven, giving gifts, saving us, owning it, that he might be above all things. He is the fullness He's making this religion. And once you realize that God through his Holy Spirit in you is making the religion, it is no longer you picking the best church with the best programs with the most legitimate Christian terminology in their programs. That's just making idols. Things that we make to please our God. Things that we make Verse 11, in his gifts. For that some should be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. The body of Christ is not a synonym for our gathering, it's the body of Christ, his body. We are members of him. And we act in accordance with our God. Did you ever have a day when your hands decided they were going to go out and do some things that they thought would please you? your hands never do that. They never act in such a way... They're bad members if they do. If they're ever making up their own minds about what the head wants. It's bad enough, I used to, when I was little, I used to walk around, don't tell anybody, with literally a limp wrist, you know, hands dangling on the ends of my arms. Because I just didn't think about doing anything with them. And if you don't think about what your hands are doing, they weigh about, I don't know, a pound, and they just drop. So my father finally had an ugh and told me, just, just straighten your wrists. Just think about that. Just straighten your wrists. That's all you got to do, straighten them. So I did. Don't walk around that way anymore. We don't even like that, let alone if they were thinking of doing things themselves, like you know, grabbing somebody that you're not married to. If your hands had an idea, well, I'm going to go grab her. Well, hold it, I didn't want to do it. I'm still I'm grabbing her. Well, the embarrassment. We are the body of Christ. We are not here to be making up our own minds about what kind of religion we're going to offer him. We're here to do His religion. We're to be His body. And he has given us these gifts, not as a as a template for us to design, a book of church order around uh, what? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers? Because we could have a page for each of those, defining the job descriptions and what what we mean by pastor and what we mean by teacher. It's for the building up of the body of Christ. Those are gifts from our God. They are what he is doing to make his body work until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Knowledge of the Son, the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by ev- with every wind of doctrine. Um, there's something when we're you say, how do I avoid how do I know this isn't just another crazy talk by some crazy North Idaho pastor who has got some radical Anabaptist tendencies downplaying all the churchiness that other churches might have, and and even thinking we might be too churchy. Too churchy! It's his, it's his mantra, hence the church is small. Ask yourself, for yourself, whether or not you are moving in your life, wherever you're getting your teaching, the books you're reading, the Bible studies you go to, the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ, or are you tossed by the Around by every wind of doctrine, by the cunning of men. Now, we have all sorts of Christianity out there. And again, we're not talking about whether or not people are going to heaven. Did they believe the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are they going to heaven? They could be going in up. You know, I, I have the descriptions here on the um, European post-Catholic ballet. Okay, that's where, well, you know, you just, oh, the, the flying buttresses. You know flying buttresses? Some of you do. Engineering thing. Could be, so to have the windows in these medieval churches, glass doesn't hold up stone really well. So they had to divert the weight from the vault into a, a buttress that would leave the edge of the building and drop to the ground, leaving ability to have glass windows carried the weight of the roof down to the ground. Beauty got high ceilings and lots of glass and, and it's, it's our European heritage. And it's godless. Beautiful. Or some, your, what, what's the other one? Appalachian Hill Eight clog fest Revival, where you're you're doing honest clog dancing with your brethren from West Virginia, handling snakes and drinking poison. It's awful. Oh, you might like art. I love art. I like the beauty of the of the post-Catholic uh, uh, ballet more than the Clogfest, I'll give you that. Because I like art. If they ha- I like food too, if they had a better buffet at the Hill Ape Convention, I would probably be there. This is what happens when the cunning of men, <clears throat> so cunning, steps in and designs your religion. They will market it to you, and you will get the audience in the pews that like that marketing strategy. So people who like the Hawaiian shirt and the head mic and the stool and the casual talk by the pastor with a tattoo um, will go there. And if you want to go feel religion, you'll go to the high ceiling vaulted moment with the boys choir and, and absolute apostasy. No, it doesn't matter to you what's going on, you don't even care. I know friends of mine who have gone high church in many cases, or a low church in some cases. Not because there's something weirdly wrong with a high church service, but they're going there and they don't even think about what Jesus Christ's religion is trying to make in them. They just want to have the humanly designed religious moment. They want their idol. And it doesn't matter if it's a low idol or a high idol. Whatever works them. The cunning of men. Your God fills heaven and earth. He has gave given gifts to men, and he has done it in one thing of each thing. One baptism, one faith, one God and Father of us all. That's it. Your task is to find that one religion that God made. Not the one religion that includes the name of Jesus Christ where other things were drafted by the rest of us that we might offer. Because that's the cunning of men. By their deceitfulness in crafty wiles. By their craftiness in deceitful wiles. Rather, instead of that, instead of putting up with what men write and offer to God, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Now, have you ever read through this passage, and I've read through it a lot. And I look at a sentence like that, and if I'm not thinking of the juxtaposition of man-made religion, Christian man-made religion, and God-made Christianity, I don't know what the thing is saying. Because it's not drawing me to something that's that's just something I want to live a life worthy of. If God is designing your religion, we're not just right. Our God died for us, redeemed us, made us by his gifts from Hades to heaven, a religion that he offered. We're to grow up every way into him, who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every joint by which it is supplied when each part is working properly makes bodily growth and builds itself in love. Is that going on? Is the religion that God makes that, that God is expressing his religious service in us? And the Christian church runs off and goes, no thank you we're going to plan some things we're going to do for you. In your name with t-shirts on, that say, Jesus' name on it. He says, I'd rather be changing you by teaching you, motivating you, giving you the fruit of the Spirit, where you're stopping to say, I need to be in a place where I am being signaled by the head, not being signaled by the pastor, or the program, or the social expectations, or what your dear Christian friends are saying, or what your parents always said about the Christian faith, you are waiting for God to tell you as a hand to grab that, to minister to that, to love that. It upbuilds itself. I don't know if you've ever thought about how much religion you have in your life. But try living your Christian life without any of it this week. Just say, I wanna, I'm not denying the faith. I want to live what life do I have left? They're rioting up there. There's probably one dead adult, or two of dead. Now there's going to be three dead adults. They're infidels. Okay, now we have just complete... There's people going up and down. Graham just went up there with your daughter, and that's on tape. Your God fills all in all. Have you lived life at all without reference to whatever religion has accreted around you? Be listening to the will of God in you through the spirit of God. And it's not a matter of what you accept, what group you accept, and what group you reject. Because just like he kicked the Jewish religion down a flight of stairs... He said, oh, look, the Gentiles, the favored sons, look, it's all new. The mystery of the the faith is faith to the Gentiles. Gentiles are saying, okay, all right. Yeah. Then he says, okay, live a life worthy of it. Be a little more meek. Be eager to maintain the unity because you're not all that. He does this in Romans too, late in like 10 and 11, where he talks about, you know, you were grafted in and the Jews were cut off. Don't get, don't boast in your position. God can cut you off and graft them back in again so we're we're, we're warned about this but just like he said oh look we abolished Judaism we abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances Um, we're making one man the place of two and we don't want to have that one man look too much like a Gentile frankly because you're not supposed to look like a Jew that's for certain You've got to avoid living like Jews. The first Jerusalem council was, nope, Gentiles don't have to keep the law of Moses. So sometimes the Gentiles think that just the way we naturally are. People who are free from the law sometimes go, okay, I can be what I want to be. Something a bit more Pagan. Now this I affirm, verse 17. But Now this I affirm and testify in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Oh. He's talking to Gentiles. That's Ephesus. I just told you what a wonderful thing Gentiles being brought into the faith is. Live a life worthy of it, but don't be like the Jews. Don't do what the Jews tell you to do. That's just fake religion. True, but Fake. True, but inadequate, or maybe that's a better word. Incomplete, done, over, obsolete, abolished. So what are you left with? The way you are? No, you're not good enough. Don't live like the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. One thing about the Jews is they were given the oracles of God. They had prophets and they had laws and they had God speaking to them and wandering among their people and their history. You, the Gentile, did not. You had Socrates, a poofter who said wrong things and killed himself. Okay? But Socrates, the Socratic method, Aristotle in his categories, at least he's not a poofter, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. We have a religion. We have found something that isn't the completion of the classical Greco-Roman world. It is not a completion. It is not the finally the way to live out Judaism. No. It's something new. It's a new religion. God working in you. They have become callous and given themselves up to licentiousness, greedy to practice every kind of uncleanness. You did not so learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Remember, this is not at the Baptist church, the Methodist church, the Presbyterian church. This is about him caught in him. The truth is in Jesus. Sin, I don't know if you do this. I don't know if you are surprised when you ran into this in Paul, when it talks about the law coming in and sin coming to life and Paul dying. The law killed spiritual life of Paul. He would not have known what it was to covet if the law had not said, thou shalt not covet. So sin, finding opportunity in the commandment, wrought in me all kinds of covetousness. I was once alive, apart from the law, but when the law came, sin came to life, and I died. The way the church is, it's the stepbrother of sin. It's not the enemy of sin, because it's creating either laws or rules or programs or systems or theologies, to offer to our God, in reality it becomes an encouragement of sin. Sometimes we're amazed at how much sin goes on in the church at the highest levels. People that you think should have taught themselves all the things you read of their literature and they're not run off with the Puerto Rican pool boy. You're supposed to join Christ. If you want an enemy of sin, join Christ. If you want the stepbrother of sin, join the church. It sets you up to not be in victory over sin because the law and religion never was victory over sin. If the law had the power to make you righteous, there'd be no need of grace. These are quotes, by the way. Not of me. I have No need of grace. If it could work. So why would I go back to that? Well, because it's called a Christian church. And it seems like a lot of believers are there. Yes, but they crafted an idol. They did not choose to live in Christ, through Christ, in Jesus, learning Him. Put off your old nature, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new nature, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness. And holiness. This is a matter of how you think. It's asking you to think a certain way. But the first thing, before you say positionally, what do you mean, Evan? What's your book of doctrine that you no, 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 no. You first need to say what is the different nature that is amazing in that is amazing in the gospel? That you could be called to live a life worthy of it, and you go, Oh, yeah. I would give up everything for this, even today. Understand that there's a radically different way of thinking than all other religions. All religions are offering their their religion to their God. Our God is offering our religion to us. He's offering to make us into people, that we would be this way. If we have to first, what's it say? Your former manner, your old nature, corrupt through deceitful lust. In other words, you were deceived by what you wanted. Now, it's not always deceitful lusts like you know, the ladies. When you say lusts, you know, the ladies. Half the crowd, you're the problem. We can't, we would live more righteously without you ladies around. But it's not all that. It's, it's, It's not all food. Or onion rings, which is higher than food. Sometimes pride of life. Have you ever seen a little bit of pride of life in the church? Just a little. Just a little bit. A friend of mine was at the Vatican the other day. Just a little bit. When Michelangelo designs your church, it's a nice church. Pride of life. Deceitful. Corrupt through deceitful lusts. And instead, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. What is the spiritual formation of your mindset? Is it the usual path to power? Winning against your enemies? Beating out the Muslims? what's What's your point? What's the spirit of your mind? What renewed you? It says that in Romans 12, right? Be transformed by the renewal of your mind? well, you're renewing it too. I'm asking you to consider thinking that we've got the whole thing backwards. Christianity is the one thing where you become a Christian because the God made you one and made the religion function in you and only you shutting that down and go, no, 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 not you, God. We're not listening to you this moment. We'd much rather justify this or do this according to what my church says. Put on the new nature. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So in the new covenant, you get a new nature. You get a true likeness instead of an idol. Okay? A true likeness. You are being made, like in the creation, they were made in the likeness of God, and in the new creation... Because we look upon Jesus Christ only if we look upon Jesus Christ are we made into his likeness. Only if we our religion is to express him as our head, as our body, as the head of our body. The helpful thing for me, and this is just a thing. The helpful thing for me is to start thinking of everything the church offers God is idolatry. Not just idols, not just the actual ones, the statues of Jesus, or the BVM, or whomever you wanted to have, or the icon, or the every single process and program that we're making a religion to try to offer to God. We want the true likeness. We want you to look to Jesus. The reason you can't join this church is because you can't join this church. The pastor is not a member. Never join. Just took over. But, you can be part of each other if you look to Christ and are made into part of the same body with these people. It doesn't matter what their theology is. It's still one Lord, one hope, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of us all. I have this passage out of 1 Corinthians 3.18, which one of my favorite verses because it touches on this directly. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Where does it come from, the Lord? What does it come in us looking to him? And with the veil removed. Watch out for the veils that have been erected in your background, your life, your religious, and find the way to have God make his religion in you because you do not so learn Christ. Churchy Christianity, Christ never wrote, never made it. Become like Christ, let's thank him. In your son's name. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. Very grateful for your son, that we are able to look upon him, hear from him, learn from him, have his spirit guiding us, waiting for that, that our minds would expect that wonder of religion made by you, being lived by us. Thank you. Help us learn this. Give us that new nature. Give us that likeness. In your son's name we pray. Amen.